Hello, Woodland Hills. How you doing? And hello, hello, pod listeners. Hope everything's going well with you. I'm Greg Boyd. I'm a teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills Church, and it is really good to see all of you. And a special welcome to all you who are, are visiting uh, this, this wonderful service. Um, we're in a series called Enchanted, a little mini-series, actually. We took a week, uh, took, a, took last week off to celebrate uh, Martin Luther King Day. Um, and I hope that you were blessed by the conversation that Dennis Edwards and I had. I just love that guy. I, I just love that guy. I, I just, he, he's, he's just a gem. He's just a gem. And uh, uh, it's just a pleasure of being connected with him and, and with the church. And uh, I look forward to marching forward with, with him and Sanctuary Church uh, in the days ahead. Uh, but you may recall from two weeks ago, as I was setting up this series, that uh, for all who are submitted to the Lordship of Christ, we're in regard everything that we have, every positive thing that we have, every advantage in our life as a gift from God. And it's a gift that's given not just to us to enjoy, but it's a gift that we're entrusted with. And we're entrusted with this gift to use it uh, in accordance with his will. And so everything we have is to be submitted to him and un- given to under his direction. And I noted there two weeks ago that we're made in the image of this God who is, his very essence is self-giving love, self-sacrificial love. He pours himself out for us. And so we find that we are most in congruity with ourself and, and we have the most contentment. Uh, we find that we're most fully alive, most fully human when we also are being poured out. We're in his image. And that is how God wants us to use the gifts that he's entrusted with. Not just to cling to them and enjoy them, but to always be looking for how we can pour them out for the kingdom how, and how we can pour them out for others. Now, to, tonight, today, I want to talk about a particular aspect of what we're to submit to God. It is money. Money! Speaking of money, I'm wearing a pink Floyd shirt. So some of you know that little refrain. Money! Get back, Jack. I'm all right. Keep your hands off of my stack. Money, it's a hit. Don't give me that good, good baloney. I'm in a high-five felony set. Think I'll get me a Learjet or however that thing goes. I don't know. Boom, 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 boom. So we're going to talk about money. Um, anybody here ever find, this is a stretch I know, but that you just don't have quite enough of this? It's one or two of you maybe once or twice in your life you find that, that, that you just didn't you know, quite have enough there. Um, it's a funny thing about this money. See, here, here's the thing. And here's a little principle. And, and this principle will be taught, in fact, far more profound principles will be taught at this uh, Good Sense class that we're going to be offering on, on uh, Sundays uh, starting February 5th. It's about kind of kingdomizing your finances and getting, getting a handle on that. Well, one of the principles that they'll teach, though they probably don't need to because we all know this, is, is that here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the key. Uh, to, you, you, we need to balance our budget, which means we need to, if you've got $20 income, you, you, you don't have $30 expenditure, right? And so you can think of it kind of like, 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 like if, if this is your income and this is your expenditure, you want to like balance this, right? You, you got to get this thing balanced. And so and, and as long as that, you know, your expenditures and balances are, are moving away from each other, you're going to be okay. But of course, if your expenditures start going way out here, uh, running your, your income, well then of course, you know what happens, it just kind of all falls to the ground. And that's not good. We don't want that, right? Sadly, we all know this. And yet, a lot of times our expenditures do start to outrun our income. 
And then people start to do funky things. They start to like uh, get magical thinking uh, with their money. You know, they try to pull money out of a hat. We're trying to do tricks with their finances. You know, you're trying to, maybe I can stretch this dollar bill, fold this dollar bill, make it look like it's more than just a, a $1 bill. And, 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 and we, we think we could pay off one credit card by taking from a different credit card. Ooh, that's bad. You start doing that. Credit card with credit card, that's not good. Uh, and, and, and we think that maybe we could just rotate uh, who, who we pay the bills to. And, and, and that will do it. And we have all these gimmicks, magical thinking, ways that we're going to try to keep on having our expenditures going the way we like. And, 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 and we think we can balance the budget that way. But of course, you know, it just doesn't like, like operate that way, I don't think. It, it, it's, it's sort of like, oh, wait, it does, apparently. Wait, look, at, look at this. Look, what is this? Look at that. Yeah, so your expenditures go way out here, and, 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 and yet it works. So it's the, the, the point of the sermon, folks, is just find a magical way to make your money multiply, and you can go get yourself a Learjet, and everything's going to be okay. Look at that. The first magic trick I ever did in my life, and I'm never good at it, anyway, defies the law of gravity. Okay, it wasn't very good. But look, at, uh, here's the thing that works for magic. Uh, it doesn't work so well in reality because magic isn't real, but reality is. And your money is real and your budget is real and money problems are real. And if, you, if your expenditures are going way beyond your income, you're going to run into trouble. That's just how it works. Uh, and all the indications are that right now a lot of Americans are running into some significant trouble. I, I saw, have this graph that I saw on CNN Money website or something like that. And it shows spending from 2000 to 2015. And the disparity between our incomes and our expenditures is getting greater and greater. And that what happens is, is, is you know, people don't want to cut back on things. And you just got to get that 60-inch flat, flat TV set with surround sound and all the bells and whistles. And, but you don't, can't afford it, so you start to borrow. And you start to get... Your credit card thing ran up. And uh, now you're really getting into trouble. You know, the, the average medium income in America is for every, uh, per household is $55,000 after taxes. Uh, and it varies a lot from what part of the country you're from because you, know, you go to California and $55,000 will get you breakfast. But, but, but this is the median. This is kind of the average. Um, we, we, that's the income. And yet the average American household has a credit card debt of over 16000 uh, the average family has a uh, mortgage loan of, of uh, 173000 This is a, the median income, or the, the, the average of the whole thing. Um, the average American household has $28,000, almost $28,000 in car payments, which I found amazing. Um, and then for students who take out loans to go to college, and an increasing number of them do, the average student is coming out now with $49,000 in debt. They're forty-nine thousand dollars in debt. Um, that's a lot of debt. That's that's a lot of debt. And and and, and so, given that reality, um, they're 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 finding that that uh, you know about eight, the stress is at an all-time high over finances. In fact, it's the number one stressor in America. In fact, I've read some accounts that they explain that this is why this kind of rather strange campaign and presidential election that we've been involved in, this kind of explains this because even though we're not in a recession, uh, large numbers of people feel like they are. Like they're really having economic straits and they're, 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 things aren't going well and they don't have a lot of optimism for the future and so they thought they want something radically different. I think we can all agree that we've got something radically different. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. But um, and pray and hope that, that uh, it, 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 it works. But uh, about 80% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck or report that they feel like they live paycheck to paycheck. And, and so we have this stress. 
And given all that, it's not surprising that the average American household gives 2.8% of their take-home money away to church, to charities, and things of that sort, 2.8. Now, here's why this should be concerning to kingdom people. What is money? Let's just think for a second. What is money? What is this thing? Well, it's a piece of paper, but it's more than a piece of paper. It is a unit of value. It's a unit of worth. It means something, right? In this case, it means 20 units of worth. It's a $20 bill. Um, because it, I had to earn this. I, I had to put time and effort and work into getting this. And, and so the worth that I invested is, is, is now contained. This is it's sort of condensed. This is like a unit of blood. It's a part of my life that I'll never get back. I spent this time earning this, and now I have it right here. Now, back in the olden days, uh, you know, they, they, they would... So you could raise crop, or you could raise goats, or you could weave cloth, or something like that. And um, then you take that out and trade it for goods. You know, you, you want something they had, and they needed a goat, so you give them the goat. But that's kind of clumsy. And, and so around 5,000 years ago or so, uh, civilization got a little more complex, and, and, and somebody came up with a good idea, a great idea, of, of currency. And what happens is I sell my goat, and I get my $20, and, and, and everyone has the same currency, whether you're raising crop or, 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 or raising goats or, or making cloth. And, and so now, instead of having to walk around with a bunch of goats following me, I can just walk around with a bunch of bills in my wallet and, and, and buy things. It's much more convenient. It works, it works very, very well. But see, all the work I put into raising that goat is now contained in this. It's just not as obvious. It's contained in this. Uh, this, is, this is, in, in a sense, money is an extension of you. Because it's the part of your life that you put in to, to, to pour it out to get this. And you can never get it back. And so, if I find something of value that's worth the amount of time and effort I put into getting this, then I'll buy that. So, this might be worth a good book, right? It, it was worth that much effort and time for me to, get, uh, to go to that movie, or to get that pizza, or to get these 20 Hershey's chocolate bars, or whatever it is you buy with $20. I, it's a unit of worth. It's a unit of blood. And I say all that to say this. Um, if you want to know what a person values, and if you want to know, in fact, what you value, because we can deceive ourselves very easily about this, don't ask them what do you value. Uh, find out where they spend their money. Because this is the expression of what we value. This is, this is, this is our, our blood spilt. This is our time spent. This is our work. And so it indicates what we really, really value. Now, I did a little... Researched this week and, and learned a little bit about what Americans value. We, we value our places of residence a lot, whether it's a house or an apartment. Uh, we tend to uh, spend more than we can afford on that. Uh, we tend to value our vehicles because we tend to spend more than we can afford on that. Um, we, 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 we tend to really value technology, whether it's whether our TVs or our computers, our iPods or our, our telephones, because we tend to spend more than we can afford on that. We, we value entertainment and recreation because we tend to spend more than we can afford on that. These are things that we value, and so we're willing to put out our units of blood for them. One thing that Americans don't value very much, if, you, if you're just using money as a criteria, is we don't like to give this stuff away. 2.8%. Though the average American lives about three times the, the global average, uh, we spend, on average, over 97% of this on ourselves. Uh, and that says something about our values. If you want to know what your values are, don't ask yourself or ask another person. Um, follow the money trail. 
Follow the money trail. Now, here's why this has got to be of some concern for, for us. Because we know that everything we have is a gift from God. James 1.17. Every good gift comes from the Father above. And, and, and it all belongs to him. And we know that he's entrusted us with these gifts to use according to his will. So we know that all the money we have is a gift from God. Sure, you worked and you earned it, but you wouldn't have had the ability to work and earn it if, that, if you hadn't been given that gift from God. And so it all belongs to God. So all the money we have is, is given to us, entrusted to us, to be used according to his will. And the God I'm talking about is this God of radical, other-oriented, self-giving love who pours himself out for others. And we're made in his image, and everything we have is to be used like that. Whatever else we might say about what his will is for the direction of our finances, I'm kind of thinking that 2.8% of the income probably doesn't reflect his will, doesn't reflect his character. And if you're starting to pick up that this message is intended to be convicting, I, I want to just say this. It convicted me way before it convicted you, and I'm just bringing you in my misery. All right? Uh, I, God worked on me this week, and, and, and so, so we, we all got to deal with this. We all got to deal with this. Um, that, this is American spending. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. Listen to this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's interesting that he mentions money as the competing master, right? The primary competition with God is apparently money. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food? And your body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now you can certainly take away a couple hours by worrying, but you're not going to add hours by worrying. So, Jesus says, don't worry. Saying, what shall I eat or what shall I drink or what shall I wear? The pagans run after all this stuff. They chase after this stuff, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's the thing about money, is it tends to enter into competition with God. It likes to compete with God. If we're not careful, we find ourselves unwittingly for sure, but we find ourselves serving it, and it becomes our Lord. And Jesus says we can't serve two masters. Uh, you can serve God or you can serve money, but you can't serve both. And then Jesus gives us this teaching about what it looks like to serve God instead of money. What it looks like to serve God instead of money is you don't chase after stuff. Uh, what it looks like to serve God rather than money is that you're trusting God to the point where, where you're not obsessing about meeting your own needs. What it looks like to serve God rather than money is that, that you're not anxious about the future, having to hoard things to try to provide this, all the security for yourself. It's what it looks like to serve God rather than money. And then he tells us what it looks like to serve money rather than God. It looks like the pagans who, who because they're not trusting God, they're on their own. They, they mistakenly think they're on their own. And it looks like the pagans who, who mistakenly think that their life is their own, that they own their own life. And so it looks like the pagans who, who cling to their life, and since their money is an extension of their life, they cling to their money. And it looks like the pagans who are always chasing after this stuff. 
and, and worried that they want to have enough so they can eat what they want and drink what they want and, and, and uh, have the shelter that they want and wear the clothes that they want and get that 60-inch flat TV, flat TV with surround sound and the nice gadgets and get the nice house that you want, the car that you want and, 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 and provide every opportunity for your kids and, and maybe get that cabin and boat. And They chase after that because that's the only life they've got. In some sense, they don't have any other choice. They're on their own, and this is the only life they have, so they're going to grab it. And they grab their money. And now they're worshiping the money. They're serving money. Money is their master. But see, Jesus is saying, look at you guys. You know better than that. You know God, and you, and you trust him. And, and, and you know the Heavenly Father is always with you. The Father, Heavenly Father is always watching over you, and the Heavenly Father is always showering gifts on you. And you know that your life isn't your own, and you know that your money is not your own. You know that nothing is really your own. It all belongs to him. And you know that this life isn't the only life there is. This life is just a mere prelude to the real thing that's coming on. So that frees us from being to, being to cling and chase after and be anxious for and grappling after things the way pagans are. We can be, Jesus says, and we ought to be, kind of like the birds of the air. Um, they take it one day at a time. They, in their own way, sort of trust the Father and take it one day at a time. So also it should be with kingdom people trusting our heavenly father one day at a time. Now, Jesus is not here saying, like, you know, well, you can just sit on your behind and, and don't worry about doing anything. Uh, just eat, eat potato chips and watch soap operas, and, and heavenly father will just rain down on you everything you need. That's not what he's saying. Because, look, the, the birds of the air, they, they work for their food, and they work for their drink. Uh, it's just that they take it one day at a time. So also, we should expect that we're going to have to work uh, for, for, for what we eat and what we drink and all those kind of things. But take it one day at a time. Don't be stressing out over it. Um, what Jesus is giving us here, folks, is a mindset and a lifestyle. And he, he sums up this mindset and this lifestyle by saying, so here's the punchline. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things are going to take care of themselves. This is your bullseye. Seek first. Make the highest priority of your life the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things are going to be added unto you. Make God your highest priority, not your survival, not your money, not your possessions. Make God, being under the reign of God, the kingdom of God, make that your highest priority. And everything else will take care of itself. He uses this word righteousness. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. Now, the Hebrew concept of righteousness is right-relatedness. Right-relatedness. And so what Jesus is saying here is make it the highest priority of your life to live under the reign of God. And see, if you live under the reign of God, then you want to, that means you're submitted to him in all your relationships. So you want to be practicing right relationships with God, yourself, with others, uh, with your possessions, right relatedness with your finances, right relatedness to the earth and to the animal kingdom. That's all stuff that's been entrusted to us. And, and, and so we want, to, we want to cultivate God's idea of what those relationships should be. Right relatedness is God's idea of what those relationships would be. And the first relationship to get down is that he's to have the highest priority. We seek first his kingdom, his reign. And then we organize everything else in our life accordingly, according to his will, according to his priorities and his values, according to what he thinks about things. And the promise of Jesus is that as we do that, all these other things, you don't have to chase after them. They're going to take care of themselves. You won't have to be anxious. You won't have to be nervous. You, know, you can relax in the sufficiency of God as, as, uh, as you live under his reign, practicing right relationships. So here's the all-important question. Are we rightly related to our money? Are we rightly related to our money? 
Is, is, is our relationship with our money, which is really his money, is it aligned with his will? In fact, you could say it like this. Since you, you know what you really value based on how you spend your money, this is what you really value. We need to honestly ask this question. Does the way we spend money reflect the fact, or at least the profession, that our highest priority in life is the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Does that reflect that? I told you this, this was going to be convicting, but I'm just inviting you in on my misery, so let's just let it happen. In fact, I, I got an image as I was wrestling with this this week, um, and I really didn't want to share it, but I have to because he's got me in a chokehold. So here's the image. After service, you go home, and guess what? Jesus is on your doorstep. He's got a nice smile on his face, of course. Uh, and you're happy to see him, of course. And then he announces to you that uh, you have been selected uh, for a heavenly audit. <laughs> uh, it has to happen, and so it's a heavenly audit. All of a sudden, you're not so excited, maybe. So he invites himself in, and he opens his heavenly books, and he's now going to do an audit. And he goes over, first of all, all of your assets, all your possessions, your bank account, your house, and he knows the worth of all this, and the, and the, and the car or cars that you have, and, and, and all the major furniture, and, and he goes over all that, the major stuff. And, and uh, then he goes over kind of the, the, the expenditures that you have. Uh, first of all, the normal stuff, like you have to have food, of course, and, and, and diapers for the baby and some clothes for the kids and those kind of things. Goes over all those kind of expenditures. And then he moves on from there to sort of the more random things that we buy or that money flows out towards at least. And here, most Americans don't have records of this. We don't know how much how much sieves out of our life as we just pick up lattes over here and there and get a pizza there and a random thing there and, and, and you know, you got to get the, your, your, your requisite beer and, and, and whatever your incidentals are. And, and he assesses all that. So your major, your assets, your major income, your spending patterns on the major things, your spending patterns on the necessary things, and your spending patterns on the non-necessary things. And then he comes to your charitable contributions and it looks over that. And the question that we have to ask ourselves at this moment is, what does he say about that? Uh, what, what, what does, he, he, does he say, perhaps, wow, it's obvious, as I look at your spending patterns, uh, that, that the kingdom is your number one priority. Um, it's, it's clear to me that, that over comfort and over convenience and, and uh, over, over your own pleasure and, and over prestige and impressing friends and more important than, 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 than your own security, clearly the kingdom is the number one thing for you. It, it's, it, it's reflected. You are rightly related to all your money and all your possessions and all that. Is that what he would say or, or would he say something different than that? Um, see, the thing is, folks, we have to be honest about this and open up our, our books to him. Because he knows them already, right? He knows them already. And, and, and so we have to just submit that to him and honestly listen for his evaluation of this. Um, and it's not at all about, him, about shame or anything like that. Um, it's about starting to move towards a, a, a more kingdom relationship with our possessions and with our finances. And here, here's the real convicting dagger, okay? I, I, and then I'll move on. Uh, but here's the thing. Even apart from all the particulars of how you particularly, with all the particular spending that you have and, and, and all of that, even apart from all that, whether that is aligned with God or not, we do, know, we do know generally what his will is for our finances because we know him. 
Uh, we're made in his image, and, and he's perfectly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we know that he's a God who his very essence is self-sacrificial love. His very essence is, is other-oriented love. His very essence is pouring himself out for others. This is the God who, who didn't cling to his own prerogatives and his own privileges and his own blessings while in heaven. He set them aside to become a human being and then to take on our sin and bear our curse on the cross. And he gave himself away because he wants to give his blessings away. He didn't want to just sit on those and hoard those and make them up for themselves. He loves to give his blessings away. And we are the benefactors of that. And the Bible says, be imitators of God. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Do, do what you see God doing. So as this God is now looking on our books, does he see any of that reflected in our spending patterns? Um, is, is, I'm thinking here that if, if that's the God who created us and, and that's, his, that's his will for all the gifts he entrusts with us, probably 2.8% of our income well, doesn't quite reflect the image of God. I, so I suspect it doesn't reflect his will. And again, I'm, saying that, I'm not just saying this for any kind of shame or anything like that. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that to, to, to share convictions. I hate to be convicted alone. So there, I'm giving it to you. This is, this, is, this is the reality of things. It, our money shows where our value is. Are we making the kingdom first? And is that expressed in the way we spend our money? Now, before I go any further, I want to say this. Because some folks need to hear this. Um, and, and I, at a point in my life, desperately needed to hear this. And that is this. To put the kingdom first in your life, to make that your highest priority, and to, to put that over your budget, does not mean that you don't get to spend anything on yourself. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to take a vow of poverty. It doesn't mean you're supposed to feel guilty about every extra thing that you might have that somebody else doesn't have. I've been there. I've done that gig. I've danced that dance, and it's miserable. You know, you're living in a world where it's like, you know, gosh, there's starving children in this world, and so how could I possibly go out and enjoy a movie, a superfluous movie, an unnecessary movie, when there's kids who don't have enough to eat? And why should I ever get a new shirt right, when there's some kids who don't have any clothes at all? And why should I drive this, this, this automobile when, when there's people who, who would never dream of having that? Why do I have these luxuries? Any extra thing that you have that someone else doesn't have, you start to feel guilty of it. Because it's not fair. And you know what? It's not fair. It's not fair. That's it, it, true. It, it, it's not fair that you were born where you were born and got the advantages that you got rather than in Calcutta to some starving family. There's no fairness in that. At the same time, you're never going to make the world fair by feeling guilty about what you have that others don't have. And, and, and you're not going to make the world fair by trying to live like you're in Calcutta when actually you're in America or wherever it is that you happen to be when you hear this message. Look, at, for reasons too complex that we can get into right now, uh, it, it, just, it just is the case that where you were born, more of God's blessings got through than where the kid in Calcutta was born. And that's not because God favors you over the child in Calcutta, and it's not because you deserve it more than the child in Calcutta. It's just because the world is a war zone and it's random, and you, you are where you are, and you are who you are, and that's just that. And we can't fix that. There's the, we, we can't fix that. So we can let that one go. What we are responsible for, however, is this. Number one, to never take any, any positive thing in our life for granted, but to give thanks for all things and to cultivate that mindset. Develop the attitude of gratitude and, 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 and count your blessings and name them and, and be grateful for them, realizing that not everybody has that. Never take anything for granted. Don't look at what you don't have. Notice what you do have and be thankful for it. And number two, what we're responsible for is to submit all that we have 
to our Lord and to let him guide us and direct us and lead us as to how we're to steward those finances. Um, and, and that's it. And, and it, it, when you feel like you have obeyed his will, then, then, then leave it. See, what I needed to see at one point in my life, when I was just beating myself up for all this stuff, is, is that God does want you to enjoy blessings. He loves you. It's like he loves everybody. So he's glad that the blessings got to you. In fact, he would like it that if all of his blessings got to everybody. It's just that we're in a random war zone, so some, some of it gets through and some of it doesn't. Sometimes more here, sometimes less there. But, but it's good that you have got these blessings. That's a good thing. And he wants you to enjoy it. He just doesn't want you to sit on it and only enjoy it. He wants you to submit it to him and follow his directions as to how much you should enjoy versus how much you should give to others. Here's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 6. This was the verse that began to set me free some 16, 18 years ago. I got in a terrible bind. Oh, I was in a funk. Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, amen to that, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's a good word. Notice, God gives us these things for our enjoyment. Apparently, it's okay to enjoy these things. Don't feel guilty if you're enjoying something that maybe some others don't have. It got to you so you can enjoy it. But Paul, and, and notice this, Paul does, doesn't say, which I thought he should say 18 years ago, tell Timothy, hey, tell those rich people to give everything they have away. How dare them for being rich? So if you're miserable being rich, something like they're starving kids in this world. He doesn't judge them for being wealthy. What he says is this. Hey, enjoy your, your, your blessings. Every good gift comes from the Father above. But be generous in, in, in good words. Be rich in good, in, in good deeds. However rich you are in money will be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. Don't be arrogant. Don't be haughty. And don't put your trust in that money. Put all your trust in God. Uh, you know, that money is the main competitor. So be careful. Put all your trust in God. Don't be, be feeling secure because you've got that money. Because it can be here today and gone tomorrow. So have the right attitude, the kingdom attitude, the kingdom mindset, and be willing to just pour out towards others as God leads you. Yeah, you can enjoy some stuff, but be willing to be poured out towards others. And then he says this, uh, uh, tell them to be, be investing in that age that is to come. Store up treasures in the, for the age that is to come. Do you know that, that everything you purchase will come to nothing the second you die? It's gone. I mean, maybe that won't literally disintegrate, though it all will eventually disintegrate, but to you it will be nothing. Everything that money can buy is gone the minute you die, except for one thing, and that's the money you give away. <laughs> Every kingdom deed reverberates throughout eternity, and so when you are, this is what Paul's saying, when you're investing in others, when you're sharing, when you're modeling God and pouring out towards others and giving to the kingdom, what, what you're doing is you're investing in eternity. That pays eternal dividends, and it's the only thing that does. You want, the long, you want to play the long-term stock? Well, give your money away because uh, that pays eternal dividends. And it's not that you're buying your way to heaven. It's just that the blessings of that are going to somehow come back on you throughout eternity. That's what he says to the rich. But it's okay to enjoy some things. But see here, whether you're rich by, by American standards or poor by American standards, and by the way, even if you're rather poor by American standards, you're pretty rich by historic standards. I mean, just consider the fact that up till even like a hundred years ago, even the richest kings didn't have in-house running toilets and sinks and, and, and toilet paper. Think like how blessed you are. There you go. 
So, so we're, we're pretty rich by historic standards. But whether we're rich or, or, or relatively poor, the responsibility is the same. Just because you're kind of poor doesn't get you off the hook. Just submit all that you have, however little it may be, to God and, and to say, lead, it, lead me in this. Uh, to, so that my, my finances, my budget, my spending of money reflects the kingdom. It reflects that I am seeking first the kingdom of God, that the kingdom is my, the highest priority in my, in my life. Okay, so I'm going to close with this. I'm just going to get four quick little tips, four steps, as it were, uh, to, to moving our finances in the direction of the kingdom. And see, folks, this is why this is so important. And we always talk around here about how, how, how the kingdom is countercultural, right? And it is. But if ever it's got to be countercultural, it's got to be with this stuff. Because this expresses our values. And our value, to be counter, what is it to be countercultural if you're not... If your values aren't countercultural. In other words, what we do with our money ought to look very different from what the non-Christian world does with their money. Uh, this reflects what we, really, what we really value. So, so he, here's some four steps. Number one, really quick, ask the Spirit to deepen your commitment to the kingdom. This is point number one. Ask the Spirit, and I think this should be a regular thing in our life. Um, here's the thing. You can't hope to have your budget reflect the priority of the kingdom if the kingdom is not really your highest priority. <laughs> kind of follows, right? And, and you don't make yourself have the kingdom as your highest priority just because you know you ought to have the kingdom as your highest priority. It doesn't work like that. It, 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 we, we just can't will ourselves into this. And so it's got to be a fundamental stance of our life that we, we are asking God, however committed you are, you can be more committed. So be asking the Spirit, deepen my commitment to the kingdom of God. Deepen my love and my passion for the kingdom of God. And deepen my trust in Abba Father. So I'm not clinging to stuff and, and insecure and worrying about stuff. Deepen this in me. Because what we do with our finances is just an outflowing of what's going on in our heart. So regularly ask God to deepen your, your commitment to the kingdom. Number two, and this is the big one. Get honest and get informed. Folks, you know, we, we, we deceive ourselves really easily. This is why we need other people in our life. Because we kid ourselves all the time and we don't even know it. The heart is desperately wicked, Jeremiah says. Uh, we deceive ourselves easily, especially when it comes to this stuff. Um, we, we, we can kid ourselves about what we value and, 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 and what we're spending on and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, you know, it, 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 here's a good illustration of it. I've read surveys that have shown that while the average American, though living three times the global standard, uh, spends 2.8% of their income, or gives 2.8% away, spends over 97% on themselves. But what I've read is that the majority of Americans feel very, very generous. They, they see themselves as being very, very, very generous. And a large part of the reason is because they don't actually know what they spend on. And some do, but, but on, on the whole... It's not like somebody sits down and comes up with a 2.8% budget on charitable giving. That's usually not how it works. It's, they, they, they kind of just give randomly. And, and so when they give, it feels like a big sacrifice, but it's not part of a budget. And they're not sure how much they spend on lattes and how much they spend on other random things. Or, you know, they, they don't track all that. And so it feels like they're very generous. But if they were perhaps to put their charitable giving next to some other things, like for example, the fact that if they're an average American, they probably spend more than twice that much on entertainment and, and fast food restaurants. Man, do we go to a lot of, I found this out, we go to a lot of fast food restaurants. And I'm not judging anybody because I go to Jimmy John's and Subway at least once a week because it's so convenient. It's right by my house and it's so fast and it tastes so good. It, so I get it. You know, I'm, I'm not judging that. But wow, in any given week, half of Americans went to some fast food restaurant. That's a lot of money going on out of that stuff. But we don't know. We just spend that stuff. You know, it's just, we don't keep a record book. We're $9 on McDonald's. 
But if, you, if, if people saw that their giving actually is, is less than half of what they spend on fast food or, or uh, what they spend on, 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 on entertainment, well, they maybe wouldn't feel so generous. We've got to get honest and ask, hey, what, where is our money really going? What is our real budget? And, and I, for this, I, I just, I guess, would recommend this. And see, here's the thing. Because we're, God's love for us isn't dependent on how good we've been with our finances, it gives us grace space to be honest. Like I, I, we get fearful he's going to throw us a lightning bolt on us. No, he, he wants us to be honest because he wants to free us. Because what he knows, but maybe what we don't know, is that whatever's holding us back from having a kingdom budget is a form of bondage, and he wants to set us free. And so we need to get honest with him. And he gives us space to be honest. And, and, and so you might want to take a month. If you, don't, if you don't really know where your money goes, take a month and track out every single penny. It takes a lot of discipline, but track out every penny. What, what are you spending things on? Every candy bar, every Coke, whatever. Um, and, 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 and at the end of the month, look at that. And you may be amazed at how those lattes add up and how those Jimmy John's and Subways add up and how those Hershey's bars add up or whatever. You might be amazed at this. But find out where it's going. And then the third step is to let Jesus do an audit. He knows it already. Might as well invite him in on the thing, right? Let Jesus do an audit. And that's just a matter of submitting this to God and saying, God, I really want to honestly hear your opinion. And, and he'll give it to you because he loves you, not to shame you, but to free you and, and, and submit it to him. Now, if you're married, do this with your spouse. And if you're fortunate enough to have a kingdom community that has a sufficient level of trust, or even just one friend that has a sufficient level of trust, you might invite them on this to discern it with you, because things are always done better in community. But what does God think about this? Um, are there things that, you're, that, that maybe you can cut back on, and, and things that shouldn't be there, and things that are to be adjusted? Which leads to my final step, and that's this. With God, and with friends if appropriate, and with your spouse, for sure, develop a plan. Develop a plan. Here's the thing is that what we're seeking for, folks, is this. You want to cut your expenditures to increase your generosity. That's what this is all about. You're moving closer to the kingdom when you can cut your expenditures and increase your generosity, which is increasing your investment in eternity. Um, and, and the thing is, it's a lot of this you can't change overnight. Now, some things maybe you can get rid of right away, but you, you're already in a flow of life. You've got a pattern going on, and you can't just step out of that pattern. So, Get an idea of what the goal is, at least where the immediate goal is, where God would want you to be heading. And then the important thing is not where you're at right now, but where you take the next step. And then where you take the next step. And you take it one step at a time. Maybe you can't, you know, cut your finances down $100 a month this time, but maybe you can go 10 you know, Start with where you're at and, and inch forward with that. The key is this. To don't... Don't forget to stop taking steps because <laughs> we can easily conform to the pattern of this world and fall back into our own pattern of spending and things like that. This is where accountability is really helpful. People there to remind you, oh, remember you had that goal. You weren't going to buy that stuff anymore. No, this was going to be your goal. And, and, and to be always moving in that direction. Uh, if we're not intentional regularly, continually about changing our spending patterns, they won't change. Nothing happens without intentionality. And we need support around this. And so devise a plan. Don't feel guilty about where you are. The important thing is, right, can you take that step in the right direction? You know, can you take this step? And be always open to where God's leading you. Because where you were last year, maybe it was good for last year, but now he knows that you're, you're capable of doing more. And, and, and it will be good for you to do more. And so always come back and be open to revising these things. I'd also encourage you, one last thing is this. 
you, you, you've got the plan in place and you're moving towards that and you're going to keep on revi- re- re- revisiting that because you're always listening to God. But be open to the Spirit. Sometimes He'll do this, maybe. Breaking in and calling on you to do something absolutely radical. Um, a spontaneous thing. He wants you to give that bill in your, in your wallet to that person over there. I encourage you to obey Him. I, I, if you're sensing a prompting, obey it. Start responding to the promptings, that still small voice, those gentle nudges inside of you. Uh, about giving stuff away. Because even if it wasn't the Holy Spirit telling you to do it, it's still a good thing. You gave something away. You know? so, so just respond to that. And sometimes he might call you out of the boat to step on the stormy water. Uh, it happens sometimes where you really feel you're called to do something that you can't afford to do. And you just have to trust God for that. And it's not practical, but folks, practicality isn't our Lord. Jesus is, and sometimes the two aren't on the same page. <laughs> Uh, we've got to be okay with that. I'll just tell you that, that the, the, the time in, our, our, in Shelley and I, in our life, when we felt most that we were supposed to step out and do something we could not afford and could not see how this is going to possibly work, but we knew that we were supposed to do it, uh, it was, it's been one of the most rewarding things in our life. Um, and, and you know what? There's joy in that. There's joy in that. There's joy in all this giving. Um, and so I encourage you to be open to the Spirit and be willing to step out and do some radical things. So folks... Remember that everything you're giving away, you're investing in eternity. It's the one thing that money can, can, can I don't want to say buy, but, but can be used for that, 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 that doesn't come to an end when you die. And the other thing is that this is the prescription for joy, as I shared two weeks ago. Uh, when we're in, in the image of God and learning to, to, to give our, stop hoarding things and start giving things away, you, you'll find that there's a joy in that. It's, there's a joy in being able to give it away. The, Best thing that money can do is bring joy into your life. The world thinks that you get it by clinging to stuff, purchasing stuff, mine. And that's a demonic lie because the truth is the exact opposite. You let it go. Imitate God and you're going to find that there's joy in that. Be honest about this. What do you really value? Ask the Spirit to change what you really value and start moving in that direction. That's what it's all about. Would you stand? Uh, I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here, and, and uh, if you're here this morning or today and, and have any need that could use prayer, I encourage you to uh, pray with these folks. They, they, they would love to minister to you. If you're here today and, and uh, uh, are not yet a surrendered follower of Jesus, but there's something pulling at your heart, uh, I encourage you to come up here and tell that to these folks, and they would love to just explain to you what it is to become a follower of Jesus. Uh, as we leave this place, can we do it as a people who are committed to submitting our whole life and therefore our finances to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, listening to his direction and asking him to teach us and to lead us on how to let our spending reflect our kingdom priorities, to seek first the kingdom of God and his right relatedness, trusting that all this stuff will be added to us. If you believe that, say amen. amen. God bless you guys. Go out and live on the world.